0: there are certain guests that you have on a podcast that require very little in way of an introduction. I think it's a fair observation to say that David Ferguson is definitely one of those people. What a story. We had the opportunity to understand David's perspective prior to setting up Nucleus, the journey of getting the the foundations in place to to start the business and the importance of getting the right backers that are aligned to your values and the business you're trying to create. We then talked about the journey of, of building Nucleus to what it what became and is one of the leading platforms in the UK financial advice space and ultimately the position where David thought it was just time to move on and, and then we looked forward about his perspective of, of wealth management and technology more broadly, and the exciting story that he's embarked on with the position at Seckel. It was it was a really good opportunity, and yeah, I think enough from me. Let's let's get into it. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Hi, great to be here. I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm. I've been looking forward to this one, David. Uh, you might not appreciate it. Being a humble fellow that you are, but I, uh, I think that this is going to be an interesting story. So I hope we don't keep... always dreadful disappointment, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But we'll find out together, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> all right. But the, so the purpose of what we're trying to do is is not to be kind of a technical conversation of your you know views of technology or investments or all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, we're a people business. And I'm interested in David, Dave. So if we can spend a couple of moments and it's a big broad question, you know, what is, who are you, what's your story and, and how did you find your way into wealth management very broadly? Sure.
1: Okay. So I guess going back to the very beginning um, at school, I probably had two standout uh, academic interests. One was I was good at maths um, and uh, my maths teacher probably when I was about 14 or 15, suggested I should maybe train to be an actuary. And, uh, and the other thing was I write about technology. I was of a general, I am of a generation, which was probably the first that ever had a, a the, the potential to have a computer at home. you know. So I got into that when I was probably, um, well, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something perhaps, and got into you know, writing a bit of software and that sort of stuff. So those are the two academic interest that I would say led me in this direction because when um when I was making my you know career or or university degree choices that sort of stuff I ended up doing a sort of vocational degree in actuarial maths and statistics which uh, was directly off the back of that um that suggestion from my math teacher so <clears throat> and and that had a fairly natural uh, lead into working in my first role which was in a, a insurance company called life association of scotland which is a pretty small company actually in edinburgh which i suspect is probably part of phoenix Now i would imagine because yeah. uh because most of those companies are yeah because they all are <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's how that's how i got into it and, and um and got started
0: and all this stuff yeah so it, i find that just that point you said interesting of I you had know, two kind of strong vocations maths and i guess Technology and started, I quote, writing a bit of software and stuff. Not many people write a bit of software, you know. When did you first kind of start scratching that itch?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, that's a good question. I don't actually think I would be able to put a date on that, but it would have been in my teens, you know, the, definitely. Uh, maybe I was 13 or 14, I guess, something of that. Uh, uh, there's a kind of interesting kind of sidebar on this with a guy. Is a sort of lifelong friend of mine who was who's, was the CTO at Nucleus from the beginning. Um, he and I were mates. That's when we met, actually. Uh, Neither of was a terribly tall, but we bizarrely we met playing basketball against each other for our respective primary schools, <laughs> and, uh, and that sort of cultivated that interest. So yeah, I would have said in my um, in my teens, probably something like that. And um, I think that was just a you know you had obviously um, computer games and all that sort of stuff, which was really interesting as well. But uh, it seemed to be quite interesting to see what you could do from a sort of learning perspective, and, and we were actually ridiculously fortunate, Andy and I, because um, we were the first year at our high school as well, first first year in Scotland actually to have a, an O grade, which is a Scottish equivalent of all levels, in computer science. So we were in a pilot year for that, and by a sort of incredible positive quirk of fate, our teacher had previously worked for Apple. Um, so the guy was a math teacher at the school took on teaching this course and he's just the most inspiring um, guy, his name was his name, Brian Brian Neal I think it was and um, just ridiculously lucky to have that opportunity of so incredibly interesting um, yeah, computer science teacher and, that, and I think that's you know that was that was one of the reasons we got into this stuff yeah,
0: yeah. and it's sort of would you say that you have always had that natural curiosity to just figure out how stuff works and
1: yeah yeah and it's funny I actually observed this a little bit in our kids now it's sort of it's funny that you know you get to a point of having an interest in what something is and then you get past that into well why is it that way or how, how could it how does it work or how could it work better all that sort of stuff so yeah that sort of I suppose almost engineering type mindset my, my father was actually a mechanical engineer and so maybe that's part of Part of all that stuff where you just get like, well, well, why is it that way? And maybe we could make it different or better or quicker or whatever. So, yeah, I think that was all.
0: I guess somewhere in my um, in my makeup, really, you know. Mm. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about this um, before in in run up to kind of recording this podcast, but there was a time when you started to look at the the wealth management space and identify an opportunity which became Nucleus. But this wasn't an overnight journey, was it?
1: No, not at all, no. Um, it, the reserve for me is the actuarial thing was interesting because I actually ended up not finishing my actuarial professional qualifications. So I went down the road, but I actually quite early in my career became quite frustrated by um, just what seemed to be extraordinary of so ine- inefficiency in the whole thing and people paying it off a lot more than they maybe should be and um when i was about 28 i think i worked for a couple of insurance companies in an asset management group by then and worked in more towards a product design and, and that sort of thing um i become really interested in this disconnect where, where it was in those days obviously this is a long, long time ago this is in the uh, 1990s there was there was people were, your advisors just got paid commission for selling stuff for providers and the whole thing was loaded against the customer it seemed to me and um this was we, we wrote the first business plan for nucleus actually back in i think 1998 um, uh, which was just trying to break the link between products and remuneration for advisors and trying to trying to see if you could think of a way where if, if if advisors or financial planners, as we probably know them now, could be on the side of the customer, that would be much better than being on the side of the provider. And I was kind of fascinated by a, there's a, there's a branch of a branch of mathematics called game theory, which you might be familiar with, and basically in a three-person game, it's mathematically certain that two will collude against the other. And it seemed to us that forever, uh, the providers and the advisors had actually colluded against the customer, really, was what was going on here. And it would be much more interesting if... Um, if advisors and the customers cleared against the providers and then you'd have a much better alignment in the industry so that was what we um kind of started to map out back in nineteen ninety-eight. and then you know you i'm sure you've got lots of um friends and clients and contacts who've been through one of these journeys and this is long before fintech was a thing or long before the even just the kind of boom and and startup kind of culture stuff it was much harder so more totally different in those days and um, we met loads of people and loads of di- actually iterated many, many different business models, but ultimately, um, and then actually ran a consultancy business for for several years while we um, uh, ultimately uh, raised the money. Uh, met some really interesting people along the way, probably the most important of which was a guy called uh, Paul Bradshaw. He'd actually previously founded uh, Scandia in the UK, which is now, uh, I guess, not well, broadly as his, his Quilter. Um, and he, when we first met him, I remember he said something like, um, some interesting ideas in here, but you're actually a bit young and a bit stupid or a bit naive or something. And there's lots to be worked on here, but something in this, but it's not the, it's not the finished article. So we spent, um, ultimately seven years through various iterations of the consultancy business so we could kind of eat and have a you know uh, survive. Um, and also raise the money, and it, it ended up we, we were particularly fixated in uh in the type of backing well, the, the 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 nature of the capital and the where it came from, because it felt to us we were actually trying to disrupt, you know, what is a pretty big and ugly industry. Yeah, a lot a lot uglier actually than it is today. Um and if we were to be backed by one of the incumbents, that would be a an uncomfortable thing because we'd be sort of be in direct conflict all the time. So we uh we ended up with a, a business in the early days of Nucleus, which was a J V between a group of financial advisors and uh Salam, which was a south african insurance group um and that was um that felt that that was the right model for us you know and that got us off and off and running but it was it was a long you know, you, you'll have people listen to this maybe or i say friends or whatever who've been through these fundraising episodes or spells and it's it's incredibly frustrating a difficult time because you think you've got a really strong idea and the ability to execute, and then of course nobody—it's not that no one wants to back it, but they don't want to back it necessarily in quite the way you want them to back it, or they don't—they just look at the problem a a different way, or they're trying to compromise you by saying, "Yeah, we'll back this, but as long as you sell our products, or you know, different different variants." And 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 I suspect all that's become easier now, actually, or there's more. There's more openness, to kind of venture market, I think, is much, the VC market's much more available to this kind of sector than was true in those days. Because um, I think the other thing was interesting, it wasn't like a little business where you could start with nothing, uh, because you were immediately going to be a regulated company, so you had to have a certain amount of capital in the business to get, to get started. So, yeah, I think from the off, we had access to oh, something like £5 million, pounds, like it was a capital, which... You know, as a pure startup, is was unusual. Normally, you start with a you know it's kind of seed round or something, which might be much less than that. So, um, all that was kind of interesting. But the big thing really was to have a have a blend between. I mean, the idea really was that the the financial advisors would bring the clients. Sandlam had brought the money, and, um, and we would bring the um, the expertise essentially to to execute.
0: Yeah. So before we talk about the journey. Which I think will probably be the, you know, the majority of this conversation. To be honest, um, it strikes me that there's a. So, so you enter the industry um, at a relatively young age, and immediately have a sense of this isn't right. In some, in one way or another, um, and I guess most people can see something that isn't right, but just kind of get on with it. And um, yeah, I don't want to push back, go against the grain. And then you fast forward, you can visu- visualize a, maybe not a fully the end product, but you know, a solution of how the, the industry could move forward and, and move away from the game theory of, you know, the client losing, as you use your reference. And then beyond that, you know, are very particular about the type of capital and the purpose of that capital in the, in what is Nucleus. To pursue this idea of the client being centre of the outcome here, and I guess that this strikes me that there's a bit of a um, support in the small man kind of aspect to to what you're saying. Um,
1: I, I think it was it was the small man, or just just the, the real normal people. You know, what I mean, it just seemed the whole thing was just loaded against the client. And yeah, it's a really interesting thing, right? Because we are an industry, a sector, a profession, whatever you want to call it. Which which does touch most people's lives one way or another. You know, I mean, most people have, even if it's through a company pension scheme, not everyone's obviously got huge amounts of money to invest, but most people have got some sort of connection to this industry, um, even though, let say, through a workplace arrangement or whatever. And I, th- I think what happened is maybe partially in my interest in technology, you'd watched other industries be transformed by the advent of the internet, right? So, you know, classic things like budget airlines or you know, travel booking services had completely changed how certain industries functioned, essentially by introducing technology that, in turn, forced a level of transparency on what was actually going on. So you had this—you um, know, if you take the example of aviation, where I think in the early '90s or mid '90s, if you'd flown from Edinburgh to London, yeah, it probably would have cost you three hundred quid. That was that was the cheapest way of doing it, and then you know, probably EasyJet or Ryanair came along and said, right, you can do it for 25 quid. And you might have to go to Luton or Stansted rather than to Heathrow, but, you know, what we all realised then was essentially paying, whatever, £200 pounds for a shit breakfast is actually what had been going on on the plate, you know, and it was... <clears throat> um, and that... You didn't, mean, you didn't mean no one wanted to pay the higher price for the convenience or for that breakfast, but we now had a degree of understanding what was going on, and it would be the, the technology that allowed that to, to happen, Um And I think that just hadn't, you know, that hadn't happened here. But it seemed to me quite obvious that it would have to because if it was happening everywhere else, you know, why wouldn't it hit um, uh, financial services and wealth management? Because actually, you know, people in the end often pay off a lot more in in fees and such like in in that sector than they do booking holidays (laughs) or whatever it is. So... um, that was the thing that was interesting to us, and that was the link, really. I suppose, to some extent, to the to, to the my education or interest in technology. It just seemed like an. Um, it it felt it felt that great companies have got satisfied customers, and just because there's a high degree of ignorance or lack of knowledge around about um, the sector amongst the wider population, and still is to this day. It, it felt if we can be the you know the honest people trying to make this better on behalf that, that seems like a good thing to do you know and you know I just I've always been one of the people who quite likes to sleep at night you know <laughs> which um and others were, you know there were others thinking the same way I mean I, you know our old dear friend of mine Ian Taylor who's you know very sadly died um you know, a while back um you know he they they were ahead of us I mean they, they were thinking about it earlier and got started a lot earlier than us but yeah you know, I think um I think if you were to have had a similar conversation with Ian, he, he felt the same way, and would, would have had a a desire to do the right thing. And you know, it's okay to I think to be you know create a business that's got good intent. You know, I think that's a legitimate endeavor, and it uh, doesn't, doesn't mean it can't succeed. Or or and it's you know in most industries um, where the consumer is better informed, then it's possible to you know you, you always have to have a happy customer, or it doesn't work. You know, d- d- whereas Weirdly, in, in retail financial services, it's certainly used to be, and probably still is somewhat true. You can have a very successful business and make a lot of money while having almost no regard for whether the customer is happy or not, or even even knowing or caring. So, I, I just find that well, I actually find it offensive. Probably, so I find it, that it's certainly unacceptable. And the, and the regulators made inroads, and obviously consumer duty now is a new thing. But it's hopefully from a behavioural point of view, it's not. It shouldn't have been necessary, but but it's here now, and hopefully it will help.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so this is, so this is the, the the why, I guess, and we've now received funding, funding that we believe is in line with that why and and the values that you want to build nucleus upon. So, how do you kind of begin this process? How do you sh- share your vision and get other people on board in what you're trying to do and and move the business forward? Post that. Okay, we're started now. We've got the seed funding and quite a lot actually, which is that quite fortunate
1: i think i think that the, the way it works out because we've been, sort of been messing around with the idea for so long and we've spoken to so many people we'd actually begun to to build our audience and our early early platform users quite a while before we had the money and so they were that that was actually really helpful so in, in some senses it probably i'm not sure the expression crowdfunded was necessarily used in those days but essentially the first you know first seven firms the founding seven firms all invest in the business as indeed did the next um if i remember correctly about 75 or something like that so in, in one level we were we 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 almost had that engagement in in the early funding and then the idea really was well if we if we've got this model we should be able to Deliver something uh, cheaper because you want to have the same sales and marketing costs as everybody else because the advisors will be kind of embedded in this. I know, we talk a lot in this industry now about vertical integration. And in some senses, Nucleus was vertical integrated. It just wasn't a provider buying a bunch of advisors, it was a bunch of advisors, you know, basically running a platform. And it was the other way around. So I think, um, you know, we, we just tried to amplify that by trying to get consistently better at what we did. And, you know, you tend to find Advisors will be pretty good at um, spreading the word about something they like or they enjoy being part of, and, and they tell other people. And, you know, my experience, financial advisors are pretty well connected with each other, and um, the thing just started to grow. So we never we never kind of advertised or did anything like that. We, we did quite a lot of media stuff, and trade media just trying to articulate there was a better way of doing things. And in some senses, we were, I say, riding on the back of, the early success that Transact had, had and try to move mindsets along and it was long before the RDR. We relaunched in um two thousand six. So, you know, probably six years before RDR came in or something like that. And um, but there were enough people beginning to realise there was a better way of doing this, regardless, frankly, whether the regulator had caught up yet. And uh, um and we managed, I suppose, to to tap into that and to and to try and catalyse it and, and nudge it along and you know, try and draw attention to what we saw as, bad you know, poor practice, or um, and try and encourage better practice. And yeah, it was um, it, yeah, it was really interesting. That, that that I remember, you'd have situations where some of the big insurance companies would would sort of fly people up from all over the UK to Edinburgh. Uh, I remember one firm in particular from down in uh, Hampshire. Yeah, they get flown up by Standard Life, as it was at the time, to kind of get a demo of their platform and everything. And uh, they had two hours before they went back to the airport in their standard life car, and they came down to see us in our little basement office uh, to see what these guys were all up to, and um, they ended up coming with us, you know? <laughs> it just got kind of these ridiculously, slightly guerrilla marketing type things, I suppose it was. But uh, um, And then, we, yeah, we just tried to be transparent of everything. I think in the early days, we actually even had a blog on our progress on da- almost a daily basis on whether we were having a good day or a bad day. And just... Um, tried to bring a different way of looking at things to the to the market really. And we were very clear as well, actually, that we were unlike most providers that still this mindset that we sell we get advised to sell our stuff, even though commission was starting to be less of a thing. Mm-hmm. We were very clear that the main product here was the financial planning and not the pension or the uh, you know, the, the 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 platform itself. We were merely in the playing a role in the supply chain of the financial advice. And so we knew that we were subservient, if you like, in that respect. And I am not you know, that, that that was quite unusual. Um, probably even to this day actually. I think a lot of providers still think financial planners kinda of work for them and and we were very clearly the other way around. And um because see to us the key relationship was the advisor one with the planner. Um and in fact even in my current business, whether it's a, a relationship with um a planner or with an app or whatever whatever the Connection, as that seems to me to be the most important relationship and everyone else behind that is just trying to make it as effective and efficient as possible
0: you used to you mentioned a moment ago about writing a blog and good day or a bad day i suspect when you are in a basement growing to be in the 20 billion billion pound nucleus that it became there are plenty of bad days right um
1: yes yeah, i mean i've still got loads of friends you know who were there in and around those early days and yeah, we all probably glorify it, and it all you know all seemed quite like great fun, you know. And I'm sure there was lots, lots of was great fun, and you're solving interesting problems and interesting challenges, and picking things apart and putting them back together again. But there were also some, yeah, you know, pretty abysmal days, I'm sure. Which, yeah, so you somehow humans have the ability to not forget about, it, but they don't they don't major on them necessarily. But I think uh I, I didn't keep a tally, but I'm pretty sure we. Certainly, as many bad days as we had good days in the in the early part of it. But uh, I guess you have this belief in what you're doing that this this thing should work, and so yeah, you it, so it has to it has to work, you know. So so you you push through them, and you know some people are great for those sort of businesses, and some people find them very difficult, or or find them good for a little while, and then they and then they don't. And other people are you know incredibly formative for their careers, and they're and they're really interesting because they. You know, those were the two years, or the three years, or the ten years that they really, um, you know, developed themselves as individuals that that we set up for the rest of their careers. And I say I was really lucky to actually there was a guy called John Allison. Actually, who was my boss in my earlier career. And then Paul, um, and actually had I was mentored for a while actually by Mike Wilson, who was founder of SJP. And uh, you know, between those three, that was a pretty formidable group of people to have exposure to and uh, and be helped along by and i think that's i think as, as you become and i'm obviously now old and later in my career i think it's important then that you know you find the time to to be that guy for other people really you know and 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 try and help people along because it's yeah. it's only by yeah you know, as a there's an amazing young guy in our business now and he's if you ask him how did he become you know so so good at what he does he, he would use the sing, single word exposure you, know, you got he got to see things and got exposure to solving problems and work through issues that maybe in a certain other type of company and you, you wouldn't get because that would be the domain of someone senior or someone older or whatever and i think um you know there's there's incredible possibility in kind of younger people who've got a different perspective and you know just trying to encourage that and cultivate it but uh, yeah, there's still a few of the guys in the LEDs in i are still going to have a beer with and we'll have a, you know, have a good laugh about um, such and such an issue that arose one day. We don't have the slightest clue
0: what to do, but, um, you know, kind of people. it's the one that stands out.
1: Uh, yeah, but probably, probably not appropriate to share no, but, but, yes. in a forum, <laughs> yeah. but there's probably a few that stand out, but yeah, they're all, they're all. I mean, I'm pretty sure every platform business actually went through similar types of challenges because obviously the ultimately the, the tech and operation challenges are similar. Um, but you end up, in the early days, some pretty clunky workarounds and some stuff that is just a bit... Um, it's not actually horrifying because it does work, actually. It wasn't like it was... Um, you, we weren't doing anything necessarily that we shouldn't be doing. It was just a bit looser than maybe um, at some point, you know. But um, it's actually interesting. You see it a lot in the fintech space where... Ultimately, these businesses are responsible for people's money. You know, it's not like a business where, you know, if you start a, 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 an app that books restaurant tables or something like that, and it goes wrong, well, worst case is you don't get your lunch idea that day at the restaurant you wanted to go to. Right? It's not it's not that big a deal in the end, really. Whereas if you're if you're terribly loose with it and you and you've got no control on what you're doing, then people lose their money. That's an entirely different magnitude of consequence. So. So while we had issues like you know about certain things, I think we were almost very respectful of the fact that there was ultimately you know whatever hundred million pound, a billion, two billion, five billion pound of people's real people's money. We were responsible for looking after, and I think that was that ran very strongly, you know, through the organisation.
0: Okay, so we go through this 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 journey then as we're building nucleus. I imagine that you were spinning lots of plates you know, as 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 person, you know, person with a vision behind the business and dealing with people and scaling up and processes which are never quite right and will always need to change and evolve as more headcount comes in and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera could go on. How do you how do you keep up with the change that needs to happen? How do you set the direction? How do you make sure that the business does what it needs to do? And I guess this is whether it's leadership, whether it's goal setting, you know, how did you drive that business forward through these, maybe just formative years, but particularly just on this kind of journey?
1: I think it becomes, um, it sort of becomes a sort of purpose thing, isn't it? You know, when, why are we here? What what do we all do here? What's our role in, in, in making this thing happen? And I think if you've got a singular enough purpose and, you know, you kind of hire people who want to be part of that, then um then sort of anything's possible really. <clears throat> um and as long as they continue to believe in that and remain committed to it and we all do. I mean I think I think it's always I mean I have always worked hard and everything, but there were loads of people worked at least as hard as I did to to, to make the business success. I mean, yeah, obviously you if you're the CEO or whatever, you always got a particular role in that, but loads of people, you know, ran through brick walls to take the you know the cliche to to make that business succeed and get if if it succeeded it got to get to where it got to anyway and i think it was always just we just we had this you know determination to try and make our little bit of the world better and um that's a sort of everyday thing you know it's not something you i think if you subscribe for that sort of thing uh it's hard to unsubscribe from it. You know, <laughs> you, you gotta, you, you just gotta believe in it, or you, or you don't, and you don't, you don't come and work with us, I suppose. Um, and you know, some people are up for that, and some people are not. Some people would rather work in a company that just, you know, plods along and they, they get the money and they go on whatever. And oh, I'm not knocking that in the slightest. I've got loads of mates. I'm sure who do that sort of thing, and it's fine. Um, but if you if you want to do something that's going to change how how things operate, then you, you need to type and to build a business and. It's actually, I always think there's a, a personality characteristic, if that's the right expression, which is always underrated. Which I think is really right about resilience and the sort of adaptability that comes as part of that, and uh, uh, you know, sort of people that can deal with ambiguity and, um, and sort of unforeseen complexity and and, and not get not get um, sidelined by that, or, or 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 dismayed, or put off, or and, and just keep on going, <coughs> You're mainly because they they committed to the goal. Yeah. You know?
0: mm-hmm. So, so the business grew exponentially. I actually don't know that what what did headcount get to by the at its largest hey, point. Just, you
1: um, until just before the end, we were about I left, we were about two hundred and fifty, something like that. We just before I I departed, actually, we bought a business that provided a lot of administration services to us. It was about four hundred after we acquired that, but it was. Probably for the, the, in terms of, the sort of conventional count kind of nucleus, so it was about 200, yeah, 250-ish, something like that order.
0: Yeah. So, so how did your, so you go from, you know, seven people in a, in a basement to, let's well, say in the years leading up to the deal with James Hay, you know, 200 to 250. You know, how did your style evolve? You know, it's all right with the seven people and you all know you're there from the start, you know why you're there. You know, when it's 200, not everyone's there for the same reason. But as much as you, you, you believe that to be true, it, it isn't, you know. So how do you kind of... How did your leadership evolve as the business got co- larger?
1: Yeah, it's... Um, I think it was quite a lot, actually. The the other part is I'd never really had anyone reporting to before we started Nucleus. I think one of my earlier jobs had a couple of people on my team, but that was it, so I'd know, um no, no, no particular experience of managing people, and there was actually a time in about 2012, where in 2011, 2012, which nucleus would have been five or six years old, I suppose, where it was actually, I, mean, I was doing a really, really crap job, actually, of, of managing, certainly the detail of what we were doing, and the uh, the sort of the vision parts was be easy, but the um, and we made it, we made it at that point an uh, appointment of an MD to come in and run, sort of run the business, if you like, and you know many aspects of the business, and. Um, you know, I suspect that was a really important stage in probably saving my career if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> um and just brought a different um just a different skill set to the whole thing. And I was never a control freak, actually. I've never I was never like that at all. I was always of the view that, you know, it's ridiculous to find the best person at anything here, that's that's really that's really dumb. You know, we should definitely have people who are you're better than yeah, everyone should have people who are better than them in working for them but um i think it just became for some reason overwhelmed by you know maybe not dealing with issues or whatever whatever it was anyway we got to that point and um, weirdly that was the same year i um became a parent for the first time and i think that was the single most pivotal change or trigger for a change in my style which um when you know when you got kids you you don't um you don't wait to course correct right you you, you wouldn't you wouldn't wait for your two-year-old's um, annual appraisal to talk about how they hold a knife and fork, right? That's not that not, not how you would do it. That'd be a really weird way to behave. And I think I learned. And and also, it's very clear to both parties that you want the child to succeed, right? There's a there's a there's a real. It's it's not like you. There's no there's no agenda, right? There's not there's nothing else going on. There's a brilliant book called Radical Candor, which we we really like, and it's you know it's. There's no, there's no confusion about you want this to go well, and so the, the, there's no, no resistance to there well, maybe be resistance, but there's no. Everyone knows it's well intentioned, right? Like, uh, and ultimately, and I think I, I actually, if I, if I ever wrote a book, actually, I'd probably write it on the parallels between parenthood and, um, and leadership. Actually, because there's a sort of constant pressure, or constant nurturing, and constant support type thing, which is, I think reasonably analogous across both actually so that was probably the single thing that changed in my style um
0: so what what actually changed there i can see that
1: i think i became um i think I became more deliberate about leadership i think uh, up to that point it was like let's get those great people together shut them in a room let's just let's just you know what could possibly go wrong and these people are are bright and capable of course they'll be able to work it all out and then you know probably it was a coincidence obviously this stage we had children but um nucleus was probably at the time i guess would have been maybe i don't know probably 80 people it might be 70 70 80 90 and maybe 100 people at that time and we were probably just getting past but we were past the point actually where you could just magically expect everyone to know everything that was supposed to happen you know so you start to think a bit more consciously about how that breaks down into um goals and how goals disaggregate into individual uh pieces of work and, and how it all fits together. And I, I think up to that point and maybe that's actually why we ran into the issues we did um it I thought well how could you possibly not know you know it's just it's so obvious and then and then to your point actually you, you hire people from whom yeah you know, the business doesn't necessarily mean the same thing it's not they, they, they don't have the same history they, they, they join halfway through if you like and then they don't they can't possibly understand what the thought process was four years ago on that thing that we built or whatever. So I think i'd' it's probably I became more deliberate I think would be the answer actually I think that was the um single biggest thing and then when you become deliberate you 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 see leadership as a thing a, a responsibility in its own right and accountability in its own right which therefore commands a certain amount of time and deserves a certain amount of time in your week and actually the more senior you are uh in an lot well, probably classical at least the more senior you are at least at least in a a management sense, if not a technical sense, in a management sense, then you know probably by definition the more of your week you should apportion to leadership as a as a theme or an act in itself rather than just a. So I think that was probably the biggest change. I think where just um, recognition this is this is actually a thing. It's not something that's just going to happen.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so let's talk about the the time when you started to think about nucleus beyond your time in the business yeah how did how did that how did you reach that point was it just a case of you know i've, I've had enough or was there sort of pressure from the shareholders or how did how did you get there
1: No, well, we floated the company in um 2018 uh or and i was kind of fun that was a really interesting fun experience actually fascinating thing to go through um and then ultimately, what happened? Um, you know, obviously, COVID occurred in uh, 2020, and Sana had remained a major shareholder through that whole time. And then they made a decision. I think, if I remember correctly, somewhat triggered by um, COVID or whatever, whatever um, consequence, to to largely exit the UK. And in doing so, um, they, that triggered a process that resulted in the business being being put up for sale. And um, although it was a listed company, somewhat complex, but um, ultimately um, we were acquired by James A. Pyrus in that, um, uh, yeah, as, a, as a consequence, if you like, on that decision. And, you know, for me, um, I think it was just apparent then that I'd had my my, my time at Nucleus was had all been very interesting and great fun and all that sort of stuff, and it was time just to wish everyone well and, and move on to the next thing. And, uh, and that was, I guess, when was that, like... Almost two years ago, I think it was. Yeah.
0: Do you uh, do you miss the days of the kind of in the basement?
1: No, no, I don't. I don't at all. I, I if anything, I um, because I, I did a short break and then I was appointed to my current position and which I'm absolutely loving in a sort of irrationally massive way. So I sometimes wonder whether I, if I'd if I'd left <laughs> five years earlier and had a break earlier and recharged and had a rethink. Might that have been better for everybody? I don't and I don't know. No we'll ever know. Um but no, I uh I don't know if it was the break or just uh, what it was. I just felt in I felt incredibly reinvigorated actually, in a in a way that maybe is hard to do if you're in the same job for a long time. Um so I don't. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. it, To be honest, I mean, actually, when, when you got in touch to chat about this, I probably thought more about it. It's a really long spell than I have any time since the left. I think, yeah, I'm a great believer in um, in kind of looking forward at what's next rather than spending a lot of time on the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it was that happened before. Because other I than the learnings you get from it, obviously, which are which are obviously always valuable, but the I'm not a great person for nostalgia, to be honest. And, and even actually in the business, I'm not... I mean, even as that was at Nucleus, it was, yeah, people used to hark back to, you know, what it used to be like four years ago or ten years ago. Or so it well, was there's no consequence, really, because we are where we are now. And if we look back, well, yeah, okay, it might be... There might only be 30 of us again. that would be dead exciting, but it was also pretty shitty sometimes as well. So that's not... We don't want to be back there because we want to be here. So, um, and, um... Yeah, I've been very lucky to to find myself in the position I'm in now. And maybe if that wasn't the case, maybe I'd have a different view. But um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't spend a lot of time looking back.
0: Okay. All right. So let's talk about getting the position as CEO at Seckle, um, which is part of Octopus, which is an interesting business, isn't it? With lots of different parts to it. Um, so let's unpick when you, so you land as CEO. Um, to a business that's been, it's, it's, it wasn't a startup at that point, I don't think there's, you know, it's reasonable heritage in, in to trying to do what it, what, what you do. Um, what was your initial thoughts or how did you approach that first, you know, re- I call it onboarding, that first kind of let's understand what this business is, you know, six months, whatever.
1: I spent, um, I spent a, a large part of the first few months, maybe the first three months or so or four months or so just listening to people and just trying to not really make any big decisions um because it felt i said to someone else once inserting yourself or, or finding yourself in a business and maybe in any, in any role i think any leadership role certainly and certainly a ceo you so it's a bit like walking into someone else's house you know you, stuff exists things are in place Rituals exist, culture exists. Um it's is, is quite I find it actually very difficult. It took it took me quite a long time here before I felt fully um um like I understood what was going on and all the things that mattered and and then maybe what needed to be changed or adjusted or whatever it was to go forward. So it was a really um a really interesting spell with lots of I wouldn't have said insecurity or anything like that, but just discomfort with because because I've been a nucleus all the way through from for all the good and bad that had happened, I was familiar with the decisions that had taken us to those good or bad points, if you like. So I knew the context for everything. Whereas here it took me quite a while to understand sufficient of the context to to, um, to, to understand it and know what that meant and and, and, and he had to go and relive every single decision, of course, but to, to try and f- plot a path forward. You, you kind of got to know where you start from, and and and, and, the, and the substance of where it is you are. and I'm a big fan of a book called um, or a method in a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, and a big part of that starts with a diagnosis of like, like literally, where do we st- where where are we embarking on this thing from? And I, I think if you get that wrong, you know all the rest of work about the vision or the steps you think you've got to take are going to be inadequate or, or misinformed because you, you start in the wrong place. So um, I spent a lot of time learning and listening and just trying to get under the skin of it all. And um, my big thing really was trying to say, well, how do we, uh, same, method, same thing actually in other parts of my career, how do we get to a point where there's a high degree of alignment between the interests of our customers, our people, and our shareholders? Because the, these all run and up and actually even beyond that into into society and and uh, and even into uh, the environment, unless they're aligned over the over the cycle, something's going to go wrong, right? So either we're going to be making too much money, or we're going to have customers that don't like us, or it's going to be a terrible place to work, or you know various um, combinations of these things. Uh, so my my big thing is. Um, uh how, how do we get these things into a, into an equilibrium not not every day, right? Because there's gonna be some weeks and months where they're out of sync. But how do we do that? Um and so when I was trying to understand the business, that that was the that was the, the point I was trying to get us to, if you like, you know, so that we knew we've got a plan here which has got the right people in it and the right structures the right uh, motivations and everything where we can um you know go on that yeah, that, whatever it's going to be, you know, for me personally, I mean, hopefully, you know, 10 or 15 year journey here where we don't feel, um, we all feel these things are misaligned. Um, so that was the big, big thing for me. Um, and I say as it, as it, as it happens, the, the age of our kids and stuff, uh, I was incredibly keen to, to find a new role, which I did in SECO, that had a lot of long-term potential, and it was very aligned with the shareholder as well, and I think um, you mentioned Optimus a minute ago, and I think it's, it's an extraordinary organization, brilliant organization to work for, one I feel incredibly proud of, and if my, um, if my wife were to be on this call, uh, she'd just tell you i have been walking about with a big stupid grin on my face for the last, whatever, 18 months, whatever it's been since, since I landed this position. Um, so the thing for me is how do we get alignment across these, these different interested parties, and um, And that's what, uh, you know, and I try and reflect on that a lot, actually, on an ongoing basis. You know, I kind of, are we getting these out of line in some way? And that's and then we have to get them back in line again.
0: And does that feed into um, how you choose to bring new people into the business? Because I know that over the last 18 months, there's been quite a lot of growth within Sekel, particularly at a senior level.
1: Yeah. There's been a lot of changes in the in the people, um for, for a whole a bunch of different reasons. Um, um and it was I think that's entirely common, you know, when, when businesses change and um, change leadership. Yeah. And I think there's a it, it's just trying to get a I suppose you're trying to get a, a togetherness around about a, a, a purpose. And much like Nucleus was at the beginning. I say in some in some senses it was harder to do it in an existing business because there's established ways of doing things some of which are, are positive and some which you might be have a view they're not so positive Um so yeah that's been a big change for the organization and and, and it's a quite unusual thing actually because it's it's not a change for me because I'm obviously quite new here and it's not a change for any of the people that joined last week but for the people that have been here longer and made a massive contribution to building what we've got it's been a you know a kind of more um, yeah, more unusual period to navigate and you know I Actually, remain incredibly grateful to everyone who who went through that with us and and and, and kind of stuck with it and got to the other side because there's obviously some you know astonishingly brilliant people here who've been here for seven years even you know who've made a massive contribution to the company. Although it's changed form and it's changing shape and it's probably got different um, ways of thinking about certain things now, you know I kind of admire their resilience and in, in you know navigating those waters and and still doing great work for us. So it's a yeah, you know, you're trying to. You've got a different cohorts of people, effectively with different histories, you know, with the organisation, and I think that's a, in itself a really interesting thing. And just and it's funny when I do induction sessions with new people here. You know, I take everything obviously from pre April 2022. As I wasn't here, right? So I, I, <laughs> I can only tell I can only tell what I um, what I was told, if you like, which is um, again from just an entirely personal point of view is different to nucleus where. I was there at the beginning and could tell the whole story because I because I was in the room, if you like, you know, so I find that quite an interesting
0: um, difference, if you like, between the two things you know? yeah, oh no, it is interesting okay, so um let's just spend five minutes before we'll kind of reflect back on you know whether it's your aspirations for Seckle, if you want to go into kind of more of the business but but more kind of on a general leadership level you know what's your hope that you, you know you, the direction that you will take the business over the over the medium to long term now now that you do have you know a reasonable grounding of the heritage who it is how stuff is done how people feel about what happened previously yeah i think
1: um i think we've got enormous ambition and yeah, we've got a wonderful owner and um and we've got a team which i've got you know, extreme confidence can deliver something really special here over the next, um, you know, call it ten years, maybe twenty years, whatever it is. Um, and you know, I, without getting into the technology and everything of it or the detail operational detail of it, we've got this kind of opportunity. I think to to play a really big role in um, in providing infrastructure to the, the wealth management sector, and I think we can do that in a lot of different ways. And what's quite interesting here is we provide services out to. You know, kind of app-based fintechs as much as we do to financial planners or or anyone else. So yeah, that all works really um, is really interesting because it means we can actually service more people. You know, the, we've got one hundred, I think, one hundred forty thousand clients on, the, on our technology now, which is you know, actually more than Nucleus had when I left it. So we've got we've got opportunities to play a bigger role right across um, mm-hmm. all sorts of different um, uh, customer groups or customer segments. You know, which is super exciting. I think. Um, and hopefully we can we can be an organisation that is both a delight to work in and a delight to work with as a as a client, if you like. That's what we want to go and do. And you know the the technology in this market isn't exactly you know renowned for being wonderfully brilliant or wonderfully engaged with. It quite can be quite a clear client vendor you know contractual relationship which governs everything. And we want to be much more in a real. Kind of warm partnership with firms that work with us. I think we can hopefully, you know, establish a a way of working, engaging in the market, which makes that happen. And this is, is kind of cool for everybody. I see whether you work here or whether you're whether you're a client of ours. And ultimately, in some senses, you know, the all the stuff that bugged me uh, that nearly 30 years ago, or whatever, when we first started thinking about a nucleus, um, a lot of it isn't. We're not we are not we done. I mean, stuff you know, we definitely progress has occurred, right? Obviously not not in in lots of businesses, but um, it's not finished. There's a whole load of ways you can see this can still get better. I mean, actually, it's funny. I I, um, I shared a very early draft of the of the original nucleus business plan, which I had found somewhere, with um, the intro paragraphs with one of my new colleagues. He's just laughing. He said, "We, we, we have this isn't done. We we, we get it's all sounding terribly familiar, you know, in terms of where we were at." So some stuff's happened and it's got better definitely, but I don't think you can possibly say that the tech and ops and the efficiency of this wider wealth management is anywhere near where kind of where it could be yet and yeah obviously there have been successes along the way for all sorts of people in different firms
0: but it's this capital this can be the end state <laughs> it doesn't feel right so that so that's what so at the so at this point before we kind of move to our little quick fire round we always we always ask some people to either reflect backwards or look forwards and I've been really grappling which which would be the best question to ask you, because I think you've had a really interesting journey, kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneurially, if that's a word. I'm not sure it is. Um, but I think I will ask you to look forward. You know, you very much a disruptor. You know, you can see this state that you'd like to influence, but acknowledge even 30 years down the line that when we're not finished yet. So what is your thoughts on the wealth management, retail wealth management space, looking forward into the long term of of how things could look like, or perhaps what your aspirations for it are?
1: I think um it probably goes right back to where we started actually Lerone. I think I think if people were fully informed and had either had as much knowledge as they could have or were 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 offered the the superpower if you like of of having that implanted in them by by people supporting them or generally on their side i think people would in general be paying uh more attention to the money they'd probably be paying less in fees and they'd be they'd have a better long-term future with their money i think it's probably that what it what it boils down to when you'd really distill it down and that that could be in the way that they're just the way they think. I mean, I mean, I think you've got to step back and think. Well, what is this? What is this sector for? Right? It's, it, it's, it's actually to. It should be to help people, you know, retire better or, or or have a better ending when when they start spending money rather than saving money. It should they should have either have more of it or it should be more accessible or it should have performed better in order to allow to do, do what they want to do, right? Or if they're passing it down through generations, whatever whatever it is, or or even earlier on in their life if they're buying a house or whatever they need the money for. It should just be that they have a higher a higher probability of success for whatever it is they're trying to achieve. That's probably the you know what it boils down to. And it, you know, like the, all the books about you know where the customers yachts and that sort of stuff, you know, there's a massive asymmetry between what people who work in this industry make out of it and what normal people get from it. You know, as a as a kind of customer outcome. And it's 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 been terribly easy for an awful long time to make an awful lot of money in this world without necessarily having terribly much regard for whether customers are winning or losing. Now, lots of people obviously have done a great job for customers, not to so belittle that, but we we just, we just got a way to go, yeah. And, yeah, I get hugely inspired by, um, you know, by, by either other sectors or by, you know, businesses or companies in this world that are, that are just doing it doing it better. And I think we we got to just do a bit more of that, to be honest,
0: you know. Okay. All right. So, um we will move to our quick fire round, and uh, I do joke, but I'm sure you've listened to you know most of our podcast, David. Um, but the idea of the quick fire round is don't think too much about it; just just say what comes out. It's five questions. Um, so, in one word, how would your partner describe you?
1: Oh God! <laughs>
0: You're thinking too much about it. I think I
1: am. I am. God. Oh god, it's terrible. I think I'm totally failing. Um, how would you need to me? Energetic.
0: Okay. Who's your role model, idol?
1: Um, I personally follow the most Seth Gordon.
0: Okay. What are you currently reading? I've just finished reading
1: um, his latest book, actually, fun enough, which I think is called Song of Significance, I think it's his name, but yeah.
0: Song of Significance. Okay, Yeah. check it out. So uh, this one's my favourite, but what's your pet hate?
1: Um, Dishonesty.
0: Mm. That's a common one, yeah. Okay, right, so this one, this this is the exciting one. So, Signia paying. congrats. Uh, you can go on holiday anywhere in the world but only for a week you know to be realistic Um, tell your wife um, maybe your kids if you want and where do you go?
1: Um, probably Berlin
0: nice place yeah cool well this was a lot of fun David thank you
1: (laughs) thank you for having me on it's been great fun I enjoyed it too